going to um, read the extract from the Bible this morning, so if there's anybody who'd like a copy, we have some spares over in the corner, just signal. I'm sure somebody will be willing to pass them around. We're reading from 1 Timothy 5, verse 17, and this is on page 1193 of your Red Bibles. The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. For scripture says, do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain, and the worker deserves his wages. Do not entertain an accusation against an elder unless it is brought by two or three witnesses. But those elders who are sinning, you are to reprove before everyone so that the others may take warning. I charge you in the sight of God and Christ Jesus and the elect angels to keep these instructions without partiality and to do nothing out of favoritism. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands and do not share in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. Stop drinking only water and use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses. The sins of some are obvious, reaching the place of judgment ahead of them. The sins of others trail behind them. In the same way, good deeds are obvious, and even those that are not obvious cannot remain hidden forever. All who are under the yoke of slavery should consider their masters worthy of full respect, so that God's name and our teaching may not be slandered. Those who have believing masters should not show them disrespect just because they are fellow believers. Instead, they should serve them even better because their masters are dear to them as fellow believers and are devoted to the welfare of their slaves. These are the things you are to teach and insist on. Let us join in prayer together. Thank you, Lord, that we can sing out your praise and glory, that we can sing of your love and your sacrifice, that we can offer our thanks and for you to come near to us. And as we share our thoughts around the words we have read, direct our thinking towards you. Bless John as he comes and speaks today and speak to him through to us. Amen. Well, it's great to be with you again, and what a joy to be in this building for the first time. I mean, I'm sure for most of you it's becoming sort of a bit old hat now, and you're wondering what the next thing is. But to to come in here and to see this as the uh, fulfillment of God's promises, the fruition of vision, and a a demonstration of God's faithfulness is really tremendous. So, uh, it's good to be here. We've just read from this chapter in 1 Timothy. This is the third in the series. Dan kicked it off by reminding us that here is Timothy. He's in Ephesus. He's been sent there by Paul. And his whole responsibility there is to train people in godliness and to model for them what Christian faith looks like. Uh, And then last week, uh, Josh was reminding us that uh, because of our love for one another, we demonstrate that in practical ways in the way in which we care for one another. 
Uh, and that's what the church is about. Now, this week, we, we change gear a little bit. And uh, we, we sort of move to a place where we're thinking about how we serve one another, but actually in some very sort of specialized ways. Uh, and, and the first thing that uh, Paul begins to talk about here is how we honor one another within the church of Jesus Christ, particularly with regard to leaders. Now, leaders have particular responsibilities. These, these elders here, oops. Technology is great when it works. Well, let, let's just... Okay, right. It, it, it may work from now on. We'll just have to sort of hope and pray, and if it doesn't, whatever. Um, Paul, uh, about five or six years earlier, it's hard to get all the details of timing absolutely right, but Paul was on his way to Jerusalem uh, for the last time. And as he passed by Ephesus, called it the port of Miletus, which is uh, just down the road from Ephesus, and he summoned the elders of the, of the church in Ephesus to meet him there at Miletus and, and really to say farewell to them. And uh, one of the things he says to them is, keep watch over yourselves. Your responsibility is to guard the flock of Jesus Christ. God has put you in a position of responsibility. That's what he says to them. Fast forward five or six years, and he's now writing to Timothy there in Ephesus. And it's, he has to remind Timothy of what the elders are there for, and how to handle the elders, and how to appoint the elders, so that they might do what they're called to do. And what they're called to do is to serve the church of Jesus Christ. Leaders in the church of Jesus Christ are always there to serve. They're not there to lord it over people. They're not there to exercise control. They're there to serve. And to follow the example of Jesus himself, who said, look, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So leadership is marked by service. It's marked by service in directing the church, in giving leadership and saying, we believe this is the vision that God has given us for this body of Christian believers, and this is where we believe God wants to take us. So they direct the life of the church. They also direct the life of the church in terms of individual lives, providing guidance and care for individuals, and pastoring them and helping them on their Christian journey. So they direct, they teach. This is an infant church. Many of the people in this church have come from Judaism. Many have come from paganism. And they need to understand the truth. And it's no different now. We, as the people of God, need to understand the truth. And the role of leaders is to help us understand the truth. And that's true whether we are people like me who stand up in front of a congregation and preach. It's true of people who lead small groups. It's true of people who work with children and young people. This responsibility to teach and to teach faithfully and to hold to the Word of God, more of that tonight, is fundamental in the life 
of God's people. And preaching is just one aspect of that whole thing about teaching. So these leaders have a responsibility to serve the church by ensuring that the church grows and develops. And the church, in turn, is to honor them. Ah, just one other quote there. This is a quote from a book I'm reading at the moment. Uh, Keep watch over yourselves. That shouldn't be there, actually. The church leader is someone who is sacrificed from the front line, at least in part, to equip everyone else for the front line. And this is back again with this idea of service. Leaders are there to equip others. And you get that idea in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 16, where Paul talks about God giving gifts to the church so that the church itself might grow and develop. Okay, so they serve, but they are freed to do that by the service of others. Now, you see what Paul says, those who direct, who preach, and who teach are worthy of double honor. And then he goes on to talk about muzzling the ox, and he goes on to quote uh, Jesus about the laborer being worthy of his hire. And just incidentally, in passing, notice that he quotes from Deuteronomy, which all Jews would have recognized as Scripture. But he also quotes from Jesus, treating that as Scripture. So by this stage in the life of the church, the words of Jesus are, be, are being seen as just as authoritative as the Old Testament. Now we take that for granted. But for many of those early Christian believers, that would have been a real challenge. So, it would look as though what Paul is talking about here is, at least in part, financial. This is the question about muzzling the ox. This is the question about the laborer being worthy of his hire. So, Paul is saying, look, these people are set aside. They're devoting their lives to serving the church you need to make sure that they are adequately and properly supported to do that. Now, I don't think it's just financial. I think it's about a whole load of other things as well. We'll pick up another illustration of that in just a moment. But Paul is concerned that they are respected and honored for what they do. I have to say to you that sometimes being in leadership of a church is a challenging place to be. Uh, and many of your leaders will know that. There is a call on us as members of a church, as members of a fellowship, to honor those in positions of leadership, to honor them by rewarding them adequately financially. Now, of course, we live in a very, very different environment to this early church. Uh, This would have been much more informal. There would have been no contracts of employment. There would have been no fixed salaries. But the principle still applies we need to ensure that those who are in full-time positions are adequately supported so that they don't feel the pressures of finances and are free to serve the Lord. There was clearly a tradition in the early church that people were supported out of the gifts of those they served. You find Paul in uh, 1 Corinthians 9 actually saying that he doesn't exercise that right. It's a right, he says, but I don't exercise it because I want to make the gospel free to all. 
But for us, we need to provide that honor. We also provide that honor in praying for them, in supporting them, in identifying with their vision. This is all about honoring those who are called into these positions of leadership. But just before we leave that, notice this, that Paul says they are worthy of double honor. Implication, each one of us is worthy of honor. And within the church of Jesus Christ, we honor one another by serving one another. We can so easily dishonor one another. And you know how that happens. It happens by ignoring other people. It happens by talking about other people behind their backs. It happens by undermining them. We are called, brothers and sisters, to honor one another within the fellowship of Jesus Christ. So, leaders are worthy of this uh, double honor. But leaders are also held to account And Timothy is instructed uh, on how to deal with discipline. It would look as though something has been going wrong with the leadership in Ephesus. It's hard to know exactly what it was, but something is not totally right. Uh, It may be that uh, some of them had got involved in false teaching. It happens. Happens today still. Maybe that some of them have been involved in moral failure of one sort. That sadly still happens within the church and we see far too much of it and it dishonors God and it dishonors the church and we'll come back to that at the end. But whatever had been going wrong, something had been going wrong. And Paul is clear that this needs to be dealt with. It's too important to ignore. When, when leadership in the church goes wrong, it has to be dealt with because if we don't deal with it, it impacts on the life of the church. And actually... That's equally true of every member as well. When we go wrong, we need to be held accountable and we need to make ourselves accountable to others so that the the honor of God is not in any way undermined by what is going on. So Paul says, look, when, when something goes wrong, make sure you deal with it honestly and fairly and credibly. First thing is, Don't just listen to one person because it's very easy for one person to just get some wrong ideas and slag off someone else. Don't do that. Make sure there are two or three witnesses. Now, that's a good Old Testament principle, again, laid out in the book of Deuteronomy in the Old Testament. So make sure that there is is evidence that's credible, that can be tested. Don't just go on the basis of the the odd sort of casual accusation. So there's a, a responsibility Uh, about all of this it's got to be clear it's got to be credible there are two possible errors here one is the error of not dealing with the issue and the other is the error of dealing with it far too quickly without proper investigation sadly the church has a reputation for doing both for ignoring issues and sweeping them under the carpet and we just see too much of that in our press at the moment And and the other is just moving too quickly to deal with things without a proper investigation. Now, there's a hint that all of this uh, depends on really taking God seriously as well. But there's also the reality that all of us 
are held accountable. See, Paul goes on to say, in verse 24 this is, the sins of some are obvious, reaching the place of judgment ahead of them. The sins of others trail behind them. In the same way, good deeds are obvious, and even those that are not obvious cannot remain hidden forever. Now, there seems to be a hint there that Paul is looking ahead towards that day of judgment when Jesus comes back again and everything is laid out in the open. So what he's concerned about here is that those decisions which we make within the life of the church now are simply reflections of that ultimate judgment which will come when Jesus comes back and when everything is known. And that's why it's important to deal with it. And that's why it's important to deal with it responsibly. And that's why it's important that each one of us are held accountable. Because one day we will have to give an account. And you know what? It's much better that we get it right now than that we stand before Jesus when he comes back and suddenly the whole thing is laid out. We serve one another by helping one another to deal with the things that are wrong in our lives and growing spiritually. We've just sung, purify my heart. We help one another in that. We serve one another in that. We need one another for that. We cannot grow as individuals. So that's why it's important that all are accountable. Then Paul changes gear. And you'll notice I'm not saying anything at all about this uh, verse, stop drinking only water and use a little wine. Some of you will be deeply disappointed that I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that, but I'm not. Uh, Except perhaps just to say this, that that is a specific verse addressed to a specific person with a specific illness at a specific time in the history of the church. And you therefore need to be very careful how you use it uh, today. I'm happy to discuss that with anyone afterwards, but we need to press on and to look at this other question which Paul deals with about slaves, those who are under the yoke of slavery. Well, what have you got to do? You've got to respect your masters. Now, it's sometimes said that the the, the Bible is a bit sort of uh, irresponsible because it condones slavery, and critics of the Bible will say that. The reality is actually the Bible doesn't. The Bible recognizes it as a reality in the first century and earlier and says, look, in the reality in which we live, this is how you have to behave. It doesn't say that that is the ultimate reality. And, and all the seeds which ultimately led to the abolition, well, the abolition of slavery, actually, no, because slavery is still rampant in our world in all sorts of ways. But the seeds which led to that movement of Wilberforce from the Shaftesbury group and the abolition of the, the Caribbean and uh, Southern American slave trade, all of those seeds are there in the Bible. In Galatians 3.28, for example, in Christ there is neither slave nor free. We're all free. In Christ. So the system is being undermined, but you can't suddenly sweep it out of the way because what that does is to create havoc and to dishonor God. So there's no condoning of slavery. There's a recognition that it is not God's ideal purpose, but there is a recognition that we have to live with the realities of life and demonstrate godliness in the realities of life. 
We are not called out of the world. We're called to live as the people of God in the world. And that's the reality. So Paul says, look, if you're slaves, just be prepared to respect your masters. Now, in this congregation at Ephesus, because this is the way the church worked in the first century, there would have been householders and there would have been slaves. And and some of those slaves would have been slaves in the household of people within the congregation. Because the chances are that when a householder became a Christian, the whole household would have become followers of Jesus. Now, that seems strange to us, but that's how things tended to work in the first century. It wasn't a, a lack of individual conversion. It was just a mark of the way the household worked. And there would also have been slaves who, whose masters were not in the congregation, who, who were not Christians. So there's, there's both of them there. And Paul speaks to both of them. And he says, look, if your master is a Christian, don't take advantage of that. Don't assume that somehow you can get away with stuff. You've got to show them just as much respect as you would show to a non-Christian master. Incidentally, we just need to be aware that slavery in the first century had a number of different forms. And slaves within a household, as opposed to slaves in agriculture or in industry or in the mines, were actually often very well treated and had quite responsible positions. Many of them were sort of managers of the household and managers of the uh, householders' uh, affairs. And Paul is concerned that whatever their situation they demonstrate respect and they work faithfully. Now, for for us, of course, the situation is totally different. I would guess that not many of us here are slaves. Some of you may feel like you're slaves, but actually you're not. Not in the sense that these people were anyway. But we find ourselves in a whole range of of, of different work-type situations. Commerce, industry, manufacturing caring professions. And wherever we find ourselves, I think that the message of Paul is unchanged. We may have contracts of employment, we may have HR departments, we may have a whole thing which lays out our rights and our responsibilities. But the underlying principle remains unchanged. We are to respect those with whom we work and those for whom we work. The calling we have on our lives, now some of us of course are retired, some of us are not in work, but those of us who are in work, the calling we have on our lives is to demonstrate in our places of work that because we are followers of Jesus, we actually have a different set of standards. Our calling is to serve faithfully wherever God has placed us. And to demonstrate within that place that we are followers of Jesus and therefore we will work harder, we will work more faithfully, we will not take advantage, we will observe correct sort of moral and ethical standards. And hey, look, this can be a challenge sometimes. I know this can be a challenge. 
I have friends for whom it has become a massive challenge. I have friends who've had to step away from jobs because they felt that they could not serve faithfully in the context in which they were placed. But while we're there, the calling is to serve faithfully. And particularly if we're working with fellow Christians, not to take advantage of that. Um, that, That's a challenge, actually. I spent most of my working life within a Christian organization. Uh, And I I have had to work with that challenge of how we work with people when we're all managers and also brothers and sisters in Christ. And take it from me, and some of you will know this, that can be a real challenge sometimes. But it's a challenge that we have to work at. Why does all this matter? Well, Paul tells us why it matters. He tells us why it matters because... We should not allow God's name and the teaching of the church to be slandered. That's uh, verse 1 there. Our responsibility always is to honor God. That is what we are here for as the people of God. And in our lives together, as we serve one another, and in our lives beyond the church, as we serve others, our primary calling is to honor God. Because that is the way in which the teaching, you see, the gospel, the good news of Jesus, that is the way in which that is demonstrated to others. And if our desire is, as it must be, that more people come to know and love Jesus, then we will live in this way. Then we will serve one another within the body of Christ. We will honor our leaders. We will honor one another. We will serve faithfully in our workplaces. And by doing that, we will proclaim the good news. If you go back to that uh, uh, Tim Chester and uh, Steve Tim's quote that I put up earlier on, leaders are there not to be on the front line, but to equip others for the front line. And tomorrow, many of us will find ourselves in workplaces which are are, are tricky, which are difficult, which are alien environments to the gospel. How do we live out our faith in those places? There's no easy answer. But there is no avoiding the requirement to do it. So, we honor God. Earlier on, we sang, Prince of Peace, I will live. You are my Prince of Peace and I will live my life for you. And those words are easy enough to sing, aren't they? But they're much harder to do when we're here in the challenges of living with one another, living with different people, living with people we don't always get on with, but still honoring them. And in the challenge of the workplace, where we have calls to serve faithfully and to demonstrate the presence of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much that you've called us into a body of your people. We thank you so much for the fellowship which we have with one another. But please will you help us in all our relationships with one another 
to demonstrate the love which you have for us and the love which we therefore have for one another. Will you please help us as a fellowship of believers in Jesus Christ to honor one another. And we pray for our leaders right now that you will help us to honor them. We pray that you will lead them, that you will guide them, and that you will enable us to be supportive of them in all that they do. And Father, we pray too for our relationships with those beyond the church. We pray that by the lives we live, we might demonstrate the change that you have made in our lives through Jesus Christ. We thank you for him. We thank you for his coming, for his life, for his death, for his resurrection, for his present reign, because this makes all the difference to us. And we pray that you might help us to show that to others. Amen.